Okay, we are going to continue to hear stories throughout this service. This really is a celebration service, very different. Uh, but I want to kind of bring you into uh, a story that's in Scripture. And we're going to do this one a little bit different than we normally do. Uh, I'm not going to have you look it up. I'm just going to ask that you sort of uh, enter into the story in your mind, that you really engage your imagination and experience it. In a lot of ways, this is how the original Scriptures were uh, put together. They were read to the congregation. So people would have heard these stories. People would have would listen to the stories in a day when there wasn't a printing press and people were far less literate than they are now. So most of the stories were heard verbally. And so as you listen to a story, quite often you can enter into it with greater uh, level of imagination, if you will. But this is one of those stories uh, that it would really be great if you could wrap your mind around it. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of context and then read the story. So Jesus has been invited to have dinner at a religious leader's house, a Pharisee's house. And this was a pretty common practice. Whenever a teacher or somebody of influence was, was in town, uh, the, somebody would invite them over to their house to come have dinner, and it was sort of a, a status symbol. It was sort of like a, you get a little more street cred if that important person would come eat at your house. Really no different than it is now. If you have important guests come to your house, you can kind of brag on it a little bit. But what makes this radically different is that the community would be invited to show up not to eat at the meal, but to observe the meal. So imagine if you had a dinner party and you invited somebody to be the guest of honor, but everyone knew, that's my boy Clyde, love you man, Um, that's my grandson. Uh, Anyway, if everybody in the community, what if everybody even at Grace knew Meg and I are having a dinner party, hey, you guys are all invited, but all you can do is come and watch. You just have to stand around and watch. We'd open all the windows. You guys could stand in the windows and stare in the, through. You could come. You could stand around the table. It already feels a little awkward, doesn't it? Like, strange. This is way out of our, our norm, our social norms, but it was very common. As a matter of fact, if it was a big party, a lot of times they would have to move the, the party out into the courtyard of the house so that more people could gather around it. But the ground rules were... Listen, be quiet, you're not eating with us, you just get to listen to the conversation. And again, it was sort of a way of of the whole town knowing, look how cool I am, I have the rock star Jesus coming over to my house, we're having dinner, get it? So that's the scene that I want you to picture in your mind. Hundreds, maybe more than hundreds of people gathered around watching a meal take place. This is in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. Again, I'm not asking you to look it up this week. Uh, You can look it up later and read it, but I'm just going to read it for you. It will be up on the screen, but just maybe even just close your eyes and see the story unfold before your eyes. So when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. They're sitting down. There are actually no chairs. They're on the ground. They're probably with their feet behind them reclining at the table, right? And it says that a woman from the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Let's just stop there. Imagine a dinner party where somebody is weeping, a little bit distracting. Imagine a dinner party where somebody is weeping and their actual tears are falling on somebody's feet and they're wiping their feet with their hair and kissing their feet. 
a little distracting, right? Can we just own that? That this would have just been a, a little hard to carry on a normal conversation, whatever normal is, while all of this commotion is going on behind it. And verse 39 says, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he knew who it was that was touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she was a sinner, Jesus answered him, Simon, I, I have something to tell you. He said, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. But neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them loved him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me water for my feet. And she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. This was a common practice. When you had guests come, especially for dinner, you would wash their feet, you would wash their hands. We'll see that at the Seder experience. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is it that even forgives sins? Verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. The reason I chose this particular story as a way of sort of wrapping up the curtains experience that we've been going through is I I love the story, but what I love about the story is the contrast between the two main characters, if you will, of this story, the woman and the Pharisee. And what I want you to recognize is that both of them have a face-to-face interaction with Jesus. Both of them are in dialogue with Jesus. Both of them are present. They are in the very presence of Jesus, the the God-man Jesus. They are both there and, and both have this encounter, but only one of them leaves the gathering rejuvenated, revitalized, refreshed, and restored. They both have an encounter, but only one of them leaves the gathering revitalized, rejuvenated, refreshed, and restored. And that's my prayer for you this morning that you would leave here revitalized, that you would leave here rejuvenated, that you would leave here restored, that you would leave here refreshed, that you would hear these stories and that something would stir in you and something would change and you would leave just on fire for what God has for you. So let's look at the story. There's, there's two characters. The first one is the woman, right? And the fact is she breaks all of the rules, I already told you that people were to come, people were to remain silent, people were to remain in the, in the background, if you will. A lot of times they would just be looking through the window or standing outside of the, the main circle in the courtyard, but it was pretty much known. You're allowed to be here, but you're not allowed to engage, right? You're not a guest of honor, so the only thing you're here for is just to learn and see whatever you can learn and see. You're welcome, but you're to be a silent observer. And if you think about it, she is anything but silent, As a matter of fact, I don't think she could have been any louder in her behavior. It says that she stood behind his feet weeping. She began to wipe his feet with her tears. And as she wiped them with her hair, she kissed them and she poured perfume on them. Major distraction. Can we just own that all together? You can see how disruptive this would have been, right? And, and, and way outside of the, the norm. I don't know how we would even begin to have a normal conversation around the table. She's not fading into the background. She is front and center. And the worst thing is everyone in the community knew that she was 
a sinful woman. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if she was a prostitute. I don't know if she was uh, just promiscuous. I don't know if she had many husbands, like the story we heard uh, last week. I'm not sure what that means, but what it does mean is that everybody knew that there was a part of her life that was outside of the, the boundaries, if you will. She was a sinful woman. And this is small community. This is very familial, uh, lots of family organizations. So I don't know if you grew up in a small town. I grew up in a very small town. Everybody knows everybody's business in a small town. There's no hiding. There's no, so everyone would have known her reputation, but maybe worse, she knew. There's a, a label that would have been placed on her. There's a, a, a something that she carried with her. I am, I am a sinful woman would have been part of her inner dialogue. You have to ask yourself, what was her self-talk like? Right? There's no doubt that she had this, this damage inside of her that caused her to think less of herself. I would say that she probably, safe for us to say that she probably carried a great deal of shame. Now remember, we've talked about this lots of time, but shame says, I am a bad person. Right? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that is not the voice of God. When you hear that self-talk, I am a bad person. That's shame. Shame is bad. Now, a conscience, having a feeling of, of some kind of conscience or, or knowing that you've done something wrong is completely different. I'm a bad person is very different than I have done a bad thing. One leads to repentance. The other leads to hiding. Right? One leads us towards God, godly repentance, and towards heart change. The other causes us to shrink away. And to, but here's the woman. She's, she's battling shame. She's battling self-talk. But there's something powerful that emboldens her to really do the audacious. She sees her own sin, but more than that, what she sees is this person of Jesus who desires to love her regardless of all of her foibles, all of her her mistakes, all of her sins. She can see past what she's done and see that the love of God is much, much greater. She realizes that her only hope to be revitalized, rejuvenated, refreshed, restored is found in the person of Jesus. And so this is a good place for us just to stop and ask the question. And just be honest with yourself. Think of your own self-talk, but are you self-aware enough to be desperate for God? The kind of desperation we see in this woman. Do you know just how lost you are without Jesus? Have the curtains of self-deception come down enough that you know that your only hope is found in the person of Jesus. The woman at the dinner party is the best picture we have of just total abandonment, no curtains, no pretense. She doesn't care what anybody thinks. It's just her and Jesus, and she doesn't care if there's gonna be public ridicule. She lets down all of her defenses, and she comes and she weeps at the feet of Jesus. As I've studied through this passage this week, I've just found myself asking, uh, do I have that same sort of reckless abandon towards Jesus? Am I that bold in my, in my walk with God? I think the woman is an inspiration. Her story encourages me. Her story challenges me. But there is another player in the story, right? This player is Simon, and he's a, he's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He's a man of power and, and a man of prestige, right? But, but there's something about him that's very different. I actually think you could name some of the curtains that come across pretty quickly. He's arrogant. He's haughty. He's pretentious. He's religious, and he's judgmental. 
And sometimes as I was reading this week, I would think, am I more like the woman or am I more like Simon, the Pharisee? Do I see other people's sin more than I see my own sin? Do I think that my religious activity is going to get me anywhere and realize it's not anything to do with religious activity? It's all about Jesus. We're going to look at that in detail when we start the series next week. Simon is thinking, if Jesus only knew how sinful that woman was, he actually says there's no way he's a prophet, because if he was a prophet, he'd know who that woman is, and he wouldn't be letting her touch him. He wouldn't be doing anything, and I love this. It says, Simon was thinking, and then it says, Jesus called him out. (laughs) Simon hadn't even opened his mouth, and Jesus was right there calling him out. Now, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it's happened to me, where I'm thinking something, and I can hear the the spirit inside of me just say, really? (laughs) Really? That's what you're thinking? Right, whether it's my own prejudice or that, that judgmental religious spirit that I can get so easily, like we think something about somebody and suddenly the spirit of God is like, really? Really, that's what you think? But that's what happens in the story. Jesus shows up and he, he invades Simon's very thought life, right? He shows up, he invades his thought life and then he challenges him. He tells this fascinating story about two people that owe some money. And and I kind of want to put it in today's context just because it might help you to to grasp it. But let's just say uh, one of you owe $200,000 on your house. And the other person, the house is paid off, but they owe $10,000 on their car. Just making those numbers up. $200,000 or $10,000. But the deal is neither of you are going to be able to pay it. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you work, no matter what, there is, you don't have the income, maybe it's due to injury, loss of, loss of employment, whatever the reason, you are not going to be able to pay the debt. The, the, the story is very clear. Neither had the ability to pay off the debt. That's what it says. The debt is more than you can ever pay. Now, what we don't really be, are able to comprehend or, or sink into is in our day and age, uh, there's other ways to get around debt. There's bankruptcy, all kinds of things. In that day and age, it was debtor's prison or indentured slavery. You had kind of two choices. And so not being able to pay a debt was a pretty big deal. You could go to jail or you could become basically a slave to the person until you paid off that debt. And in a lot of cases, you would never pay off the debt. And that was your life's uh, destiny after that point is to be in, in bondage or in slavery to the person who you were indebted to, right? And, but, but the story says that the bank, in this case, forgave the debt. Now, let's just ask the question, if you got $200,000 of debt forgiveness or $10,000, which is going to make you happier? Two hundred dollars for sure, right? It would, that's a much more generous gift. That would mean a lot more. And that's kind of the, 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 the whole point Jesus says in the story, right? But, but we have to ask the question, what is Jesus really saying? Is he saying that the woman is more sinful than Simon? Of course not. As a matter of fact, if you really listen to Jesus in the Gospels, you realize that he's a little more, uh, <laughs> he's a little more forthright with the sin of the religious leaders and how they carry more responsibility and more weight. So if anything, Jesus is even saying, look, your, your sin is greater because you're causing lots of other people to stumble. So that would be going against the very teachings of Jesus. He's not even talking. This is not a story about measuring sin, who sinned the most. This is a story about receiving forgiveness, and it's a story about people who have no way to pay their own debt. It's our story. The wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have no way of paying your own debt. You are in in a situation where your only hope 
of revitalization, rejuvenation, being refreshed, being restored is in the person of Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. So we have this, this beautiful story. And then Jesus says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Those who are forgiven much love much. When we know how much we've been forgiven, when we understand that we cannot pay our own debt, when we sink into and comprehend the grace of God in our lives, we become lovers of people. The scriptures tell us the only reason we can love God is because God first loved us. That our love to people and our love to God is a reflection of what we receive from God. So forgiveness and grace and mercy and understanding, those are all attributes that we receive from God and then we can give those back to other people. Those who love much, are forgiven much, love much. It's a story of realizing how much you've been forgiven. Jesus dies on the cross, right? And, and we've heard this over and over through this study, but in that moment, the curtain is torn and we have access to the holy of holies. We have access to Jesus. The curtain, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, as thick as a man's hand is torn. And the scriptures say we have confidence that we have access to the holy of holies. It's made possible through nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's not something we earn. It's not something we do. We are bestowed this incredible privilege as a gift through Jesus who died for us. So here's what's going to happen. The band is going to come back up, and we're going to continue to sing a couple songs, but we're going to hear stories. We're going to hear stories of how God has moved in people's lives, how they have torn down curtains, how they've removed curtains, and they've experienced God more and more in their lives. But, but what I want you to hear is God is love. Because of his fierce pursuing love, everything has changed. The curtain is torn, and we have the opportunity to experience life. We have the opportunity to come close to our Father in heaven. It says our Abba Father. Abba is this beautiful word that represents this, this intimacy, this daddy sort of relationship to step out of hiding and step into this liberating, life-altering experience. God's word tells us that anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The woman at the dinner party is made new. Simon leaves just the same. I want you to hear these words from scripture. This is your father speaking to you. Just listen, church. It says, little children, you are from God and have overcome. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. As we continue this, yeah, you can clap for that. As we continue, we're going to sing and we're going to share some stories. And I just want you to hold on to that truth that the one who is in you is greater than he is in the world. And all of these stories are stories of victory. They're stories of revelation. They're stories of courage. All of them required someone to let go of something that they've held on to and experienced Jesus, like the woman who let go and, and didn't worry about what anybody else thinks and experiences Jesus in a radical way. So we're going to continue to sing, and we're going to continue to hear stories, uh, and then I'll come back up in a few minutes. Let's go.
woman writes, truly a heavy curtain has been lifted. God has freed me from the bondage of 30 years of unforgiveness directed at my ex-husband for the heartbreak and emotional duress inflicted on our three children as a result of our divorce. I have previously forgiven him for leaving me, but until now, I had not forgiven him for the pain he caused our children. A student from Grace writes, for the past seven weeks, I have been a group of girls that are the sweetest, most genuine people I have ever met. I have been able to relate, to laugh, and grow deeper in my faith with these girls. As we talk about what is new in our lives, our relationships grow closer and closer. We even started to send text messages randomly throughout the week when school is too stressful and things aren't going great with our families and friends. Because within our group, there is a bond of trust that is hard to find in other places. I find myself being more excited every week to see all of their faces on Sunday, tell them what God is putting on my heart and hear what he's putting on theirs. While we talk about our lives, laugh, and just enjoy each other's company, 
I've seen Jesus moving stronger than ever. These girls have shown me Jesus' love, selflessness, and kindness in a way that I never thought I'd seen before. From the girls' love and acceptance, I've learned that Jesus loves me for who I am, and there is no need for curtains. His love is reckless, tearing down curtains, and moving fiercely in our C group and church body. Our Grace Man writes, at first our C group was just us and one other couple. Our numbers were not growing and I was becoming discouraged. I asked God if he wanted us to stop being leaders and join someone else's C group. But God placed on our heart to do the remix study and now God has blessed us with two more couples. As we went through the remix, we also had the opportunity to discuss what our C-group is and what it looks like, and our new members will continue with our group. My wife has also made new friends and is building community with the ladies in our group. I am so happy. I thank God so much for blessing us this way. A Grace person writes, this was my second time doing the curtain study. Since my first time through, I feel I have been living my life more honestly, even if I do it imperfectly. Yet there's always room for growth, and I wanted to be open to any additional curtains God wanted to reveal. A curtain came to light while I was doing week seven's homework. I learned that being a person of truth is not just about confessing my sins, but is also about confessing love and affirmation to others. It was then that I realized that I often resist opportunities to compliment or to build up others, and it's because I'm jealous of them. My jealousy keeps me from encouraging others. God is showing me that jealousy is a curtain in my life. As Pastor Doug spoke of, it is like a beachhead where the enemy gains ground in my life. I am grateful to God for revealing this curtain to me and helping me to dismantle it. I have opened up about this to my group and my C group, and it is liberating to bring it into the light. A letter written to Pastor Doug. Dear Pastor, I have been struggling with sharing my remix story. I find that the closer I try to draw myself to God, the further away certain is pushing me. But this is what I hear. God says, daughter, open the curtains. But I say, Lord, I cannot. Folks will see that I'm struggling. God says, daughter, I see you and I know your struggles. I say, I'm afraid. God says, trust me, I will protect you. I say, but Lord, if I open my curtains, others will judge me. But God says, daughter, that is not for you to worry about. Others cannot walk alongside you when your curtains are closed. I say, Yes, Lord, my curtains are opened. I am trusting you. I am tired of walking alone. From a man at Grace, my wife and I have both been refreshed in our spirits by meeting with our C group over the past several weeks. The content of the remix has been excellent. The discussions have been spontaneous, heartfelt, deep, 
and very encouraging to all of us. We love being together and experiencing church in the small. Personally, I have felt revitalized and closer to the Lord through all of this. From a Grace student, before I went into the Remix study, I was angry all the time and I hated myself. I hated who I was and I didn't even feel like I controlled my life. The thing that impacted me the most in this study was the question at the very end of the chapter. It says, I am feeling blank, so I am blank. In the second week, I felt God putting something on my heart about this question. I knew I could fill the second blank with, I am angry, so I sat there for about 15 minutes, praying, trying to figure out what I was feeling. It came to be my turn to share, and I still didn't know. I sat there in front of my small group, and I told them this, and then someone piped up and said, confused, and that was it. I knew why I was angry, I was confused. It was all the things I didn't understand in my life that had left me so exasperated, and I've been working on this issue ever since. I always remember now that God puts everything in my life for a reason, and I should try to understand what's going on before I react. This small group in the study has given me life again. I'm so happy I got to do this. study, I became aware that I needed to forgive someone that had emotionally hurt a member of our family 
thereby hurting all of us. This event happened years ago, and I've been carrying this bitterness ever since. God has been putting his name in front of me in various ways numerous times. Last week, I was convicted of this unforgiveness and eliminating that curtain in my life. From a member of an online group, I have truly enjoyed the online group. My leader is a blessing from God, and I'll be forever grateful to have been part of a group of individuals who inspired me week after week. I hope in the future that there is another online group and I would love to be a part of it. Because of my medical condition, this fits my schedule perfectly. From a grace woman, I knew this study was going to be difficult for me because there are many times in my life that I am confused about as to whether I have dealt with them. Let's just say properly. I was slightly anxious anticipating what this study might move in me emotionally. And I really didn't want to go there, but I knew I had to. I knew that God wanted me to. When I was a very young girl, there was a lie that was spoken to me by the man that I loved the most. So because of that, I believed the lie that at the time, I didn't know it was a lie. I only knew it to be the truth. The lie never left me. It stayed with me and lived inside of me. The lie influenced the decisions that I made throughout my life. That man was my father. And what he told me was that nobody would ever want to marry me. I didn't just think. I knew that I was not good enough for anyone. Growing up, I did everything I knew in my power to prove to my dad that I could be better. And I still never seemed to be good enough. I lived and breathed for his approval, but somehow I just never seemed to measure up. I know that this is why I've chosen the men that have been in my life, men that have left scars on my heart and soul because of their neglect, their absence, their abandonment, and their unfaithfulness. I have never felt good enough or worthy to ever allow a man to treat me the way I knew somewhere deep down inside that I should be treated. I found myself in relationships with men that directly reflected my sense of unworthiness. It has been eight years since my dad went home suddenly to be with the Lord. Prior to that, I saw a transformation of a man and my father for the last 11 years of his life. I cannot blame him anymore, he's gone. But what I saw in him for the last 11 years of his life is the way that I want to remember him the most because he showed me how worthy I really am of having the love that I truly deserve. He helped me raise my daughter because of her absent father abandoned us. And my dad never left my side. He was there for everything we needed. He helped me financially, emotionally, and would do anything necessary to make things easier on me. My mom told me that I gave him a second chance when I had my daughter. I have no idea if my dad ever knew any of this and how bad it affected me. But in the end, he proved to me that I am worthy of love. My curtain was moved 
when I finally gave awareness to the fact that the choices of men in my life all stem from not feeling good enough. My curtain has been moved and removed. I am dealing with God. I am dealing with it as God has made me new and continues to make me new each and every day of my life. From a man at Grace. My wife and I have been coming to Grace with our three kids for a little over a year. We were attending a very traditional church and because of a family situation, we decided we needed to change things up. Basically, I wanted to make sure that my kids grew up knowing that God wasn't just a Sunday thing, but that He is someone that permeates every aspect of our lives. This was not something I got as a kid. In fact, I, I didn't really understand it until recently. I had talked this more in specifics in our small group meetings and it's been incredibly uplifting. The remix message that has hit me the hardest is the image of God walking through the garden and asking Adam and Eve, where are you? This has caused me to look back at a lifetime of not really seeing God as being relevant every day of the week or outside of the church building. I can pinpoint out specific incidents in my life where God was clearly asking through circumstances and through other people in my life, where are you? In most of the struggles in my life prior to where God has brought me now, I never really prayed specifically for help. I was raised in church and taught to pray as a child, but I never really believed that it would make much of a difference. So I just didn't ask God for help when I struggled. If I'm honest with myself, I didn't really believe that God would or could help me with me and my little life problems. I believed he existed, but I guess I just didn't think he had time for me. What is amazing is as I look back, I can see he was there the whole time asking where I was and taking care of me. It makes me wonder how much more could he do if I would just humble myself, ask for help, and stop trying to do everything on my own.
When I think about the woman at uh, Simon's dinner party, uh, the word that I think of is courageous. What is it that allowed her to be so courageous to throw off all restraint to sit at the feet of Jesus and weep and wash his feet and pour out that expensive perfume? And the truth of the matter is it just has to be the very character of Jesus. The scriptures tell us that perfect love casts out all fear. She had to know something. She must have observed something. She must have, have witnessed his, his ministry and the way he moved towards people, especially people who society had rejected, who others had said were damaged. And she must have just felt this emboldened nature to be able to say, I don't, I don't care. I don't care what anybody else thinks, but I'm moving towards Jesus. I think about the services and how we often close the service, and I often say, uh, the Lord is stirred in this way or that way, and if you want to come down for prayer, we'd love to pray for you. And I know for a fact that some of you leave out of fear. I don't know if I want to expose myself that way. I don't know, what if God doesn't show up? What if God and fear takes hold and we leave? And I just want to encourage you, not just today, but when you feel that nudge that you just Come with reckless abandon and know that God loves you and perfect love really does cast out all fear. I want you to hear the words of Isaiah. He says these words, speaking of how much our Father loves us. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So I want to just say to you, church, don't be afraid. God's not waiting for you to screw up so he can bring the hammer. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's not making you figure this out on your own. He's not raging over you. The psalmist tells us that God has you on his mind. How great are his thoughts of you. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he is calling you to come to be courageous with reckless abandon, to sit at his feet, to be revitalized, rejuvenated, refreshed, and restored. We're gonna close with one more song and we're gonna just uh, celebrate the fact that in Christ we overcome the world. And I wanted to just frame that by just reading some passages of scripture for you and let these words just sink deep in your soul. John 16, says, in the world you're gonna have some trouble. Hey, there's going to be some difficult seasons, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. First John, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. John, 1 John 5, 5. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? What I want you to hear this morning is that in Christ we have overcome. Amen? All right, let's continue to sing. Let's stand and sing this together. Standing here in your presence In a grace so relentless I am one By perfect love Wrapped within the arms of heaven In a peace that lasts forever Sinking deep In mercy see I'm wide awake Drawing closer by grace All my heart is yours All fear removed I breathe you in I lean into says, I have nothing to offer. The enemy says, I am too weak. The enemy says, why even bother? The enemy says, I have nothing God seeks. The enemy says, why try? No one cares. The enemy says, you're all alone. The enemy says, there's too much to fear. The enemy says, I am too late. I am too insignificant. I am too dumb. I am too white. I am too black. I am too damaged. I am too old. I am too young. I am too shy. I am too overbearing. I'm not popular enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm not talented enough. I've screwed up too many times. I've committed too many sins. The enemy's words are meant to destroy me, to distract me, to confuse me, 
to sideline me, to oppress me, to bench me. But the enemy's words are nothing but chatter, like the trash talk of an opponent that's already been beaten. His words are empty, meaningless, void of truth, void of any substance. I am not sinful. I am forgiven. I am not weak, but strong. I am empowered. I am inspired. I am indwelled. I am called. I am equipped. I am adopted. I am a royal priest. I am a co-heir with Jesus. I am protected. I am knit together. I am a work of art. I have purpose. I am loved. The enemy's words are meant to destroy me, but words are all that he has. Words. 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 Words, words are his only weapon. Empty, hollow, lie-filled words. Words are his only hope of taking me out of the game. Words are all that he has, because I have overcome. 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 Because I am a child of the Most High God. I am a child of the Most High God. I am a child of the Most High God. I am a child of the Most High God. I am a child of the Most High God. I am a child of the Most High God. I am a child of the Most High God.
pray that this would be true for all of us, that you would be our one desire, that we would know the love that's so deep chasing after us, that it would cast out all fear, that we would come to you the way the woman at the dinner party came with reckless abandon, desperate for you. I'm so thankful for the word of God that says when we move towards you, you move towards us. You don't leave us hanging. Thank you for that truth. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hey, we pray for you before the service starts, and I wasn't in the room, um, but I want you to hear what they heard, uh, and it was two things, and I think this could be different people, but I think it's very well. It could be uh, the same person. We heard that there's some that are struggling with their faith, and we would love to meet you down here and just pray with you, uh, and then we also heard that the Lord wants to uh, heal some cancer. And that's a bold thing for us to say, but that's what we heard. And we just want to encourage you, uh, if that is your struggle, to come down and allow the prayer warriors that are down here just to lay hands on you and pray and ask the Lord to move mightily in your life. So my encouragement to you is don't leave if you feel that nudge to come down. Just face it and come on down and let us be with you. Amen. Thank you for being on the journey with us as we've gone through this curtain studies. Look forward to seeing you next weekend. Bye-bye. All right.